Welcome to Smart Casual, Image's fashion podcast dealing with personal style in a way that speaks to you. Hosted by me, Image Fashion Director Marie Kelly. And me, Sarah Rickard, fashion stylist and creative consultant. Fashion and personal style are about a lot more than the clothes we choose to put on every morning. They're about the world we live in and who we choose to be. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to fashion. And we love a chat. Welcome to Smart Casual. Welcome to this week's episode of Smart Casual. Um, This is actually our final recording for 2019. So we're feeling a little bit emotional today. Nostalgic. And a bit nostalgic, yes. Um, We're going to do some fashion highs and have a little fashion chat as per usual. And then I um, got to talk to the most incredible talent, Irish talent, Ina Quinn, who is a fashion show producer based over in London. Probably not someone that you would have heard of, but I guarantee this interview is worth listening to and she is one to watch um, for 2020 and beyond. She's absolutely incredible. And actually, we should qualify that there is another episode of Smart Casual going out before Christmas, but it's actually a live episode. So this is our last recording our in last studio recording. with our fabulous in-house team. Of um, Liam and Aaron. Of Liam and Aaron. Who yeah, we love very much. We love very much. So um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. We're getting we're getting cheery signs <laughs> from them <laughs> through the window. Um, but first, some fashion highs, Marie. First, some fashion highs. So a uh, big fashion high for both of us was um, going to London there two weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we travelled over because I was doing an interview for the Jan Feb issue of Image magazine. Um, I was doing an interview with the co-curator of an exhibition that's happening in the V&A next um, February um, on the kimono. And I'll get to that in a minute because it was really interesting, very exciting. But um, we also went to um, attend the Financial Times next gen event which was on the Saturday and was really really interesting um, and had a, there was a series of talks Yes and previous podcast guest Emma DeBerry was on the Feminism Now panel she was incredible that was I probably probably one of the most interesting panel discussions of the day um, she was there with her new Baba and um, just being the powerhouse of femininity there breastfeeding away while talking about feminism and what feminism means um, in 2019 and going into 2020 and uh, Emily Pine was also on the panel Irish author and teacher so it was great to see so many Irish and then there was um the, that freelancers panel as well. There was an Irish guy. That's right. And like his name, can't remember. Matt his Dowling. Name I, think I think it was Matt Dowling. He was a photographer that set up the freelancer club and gave us loads of ideas actually mm. for what to bring you know over here because I think it's something that's much needed. That was one of the strongest talks I mm. think actually the you know the the panel for freelancers and how to I guess um, just advice on how to survive and how to mm. thrive um, from and, people and that in the we've business. all th- like they've all been through what we've been through mm. and it's you know, even they spoke about invoices, like this thing that we're constantly harping on about is like, you know, pay your invoices. Um, but it seems like no one is immune to it. You no. know, in London as well, it's just as bad. Um, uh, Poor Nabel was on that panel as well. She is an author and 
journalist and I have followed her for years. She's got a very tragic backstory, but she's a great writer and she was discussing um, even in her, because she'd be quite well known as an author that she she has clients that she, or there's businesses that she just refuses to work with. That's right, she of, said yeah. that on the day, didn't she? Yeah. That she and I, I thought that was a really interesting point mm. that there there comes a point where, you know, as a freelancer that you have to just walk away from clients who actually don't, that clients that do you a disservice, yeah. you know, both financially and, and every other way. Um, and I thought that was kind of a really strong point that she made that you, you, you do have to at some point just, you know, not not, not accept work from, yeah. from from clients who don't respect you enough to, to pay you. Yeah, you know, value your... Um, and the other panel that was really interesting was the sustainability, fashion and sustainability. Well, that was why we were there. Yeah, really, that was the main one we went to see. And Jocelyn Wilkinson, um, Responsibility Programme Director at Burberry, was there and found her intriguing insofar mm. as I think she was working very, very, very hard to move the brand's image beyond, you know, one of a brand that burns 30 million uh, yeah, pounds worth of, stock, worth of yeah. stock to, you know, protect its its luxury status. She um, wasn't given much away at the same time, though, was I she? I don't it think was she was terribly kind of convincing. Official, yeah. yeah, like I thought she was intriguing. Mm. Um, and as I say, I thought she worked very hard. I don't think she was particularly convincing. Um, mm. And I, I saw like more than a couple of raised eyes in the, you know, in the in the audience around us, people who just weren't really buying yeah. into it. So it was very interesting to listen, though. And, and the extent to which brands are desperate to be part of this, you know, this new movement now, mm-hmm. this new fashion movement where, you know, sustainability does matter um, and they can't, you know, behave any which way they want. Yeah. Um, customers don't want it. They're not buying into it anymore. And that was what um, the guy Dio on the panel as mm-hmm. well was saying, like he's obviously all for sustainability and, and working with suppliers, like mm-hmm. he's going right back to kind of grassroots to educate and find different ways which was really interesting as well um, so yeah everyone's working on it and actually there was something in the news today about H&M trialling a rental service oh interesting yeah so um, keep your eyes out for that but apparently you know if if they are looking into it yeah then I, I, I do think you know of all you know the high street brands out there I do think H&M you know, was sort of an early adopter yeah. of at least trying to, you know, make inwards into, you know, an ethos of responsibility and sustainability, you know, with their conscious collection, even yeah. the quality of their studio collection, their premium collection. Like they're not just, you know, um, throwing together. Tokenistic kind of. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just about cheap throwaway pieces. Like yeah. they have a variety of collections that are actually you know, that offer pieces that you would keep in your wardrobe for, for years and years. You yeah. know, so it's so it's interesting that they're coming at it from this direction too. Yeah, they're um they're trying it in Stockholm and it's going to be you're gonna be able to rent garments for thirty seven dollars a week in a refurbished flag flagship store um in on the Sergals Torg Square in central Stockholm. I think that'll go down a store. I know. I actually it's do great fair play to yeah. them. That's really, really interesting. Um yes, and then we also got to see the Tim Walker exhibition, which Tim Walker would be one of my all time inspirations and himself and Cecil Beaton um, would have been my main inspirations for why I got into styling, just the whole kind of fantastical and theatrical styling. I have to say, like, the exhibition is incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, There is an element of me that maybe I've kind of grown out of. Mm, Interesting. Tim Walker, you know, I didn't, now I loved it, I absolutely loved it, but I didn't get the same feelings that I've gotten from previous exhibitions that I've gone to see. Why why was that, do you think? Do you think it's just maturing? Yeah, I think it's maturing, but I also think that 
the style has changed a lot. Mm. You know, it's not really about the the fantastical fashion anymore. Mm. I don't know. I think there's, you know, when when I was when I was styling before um, and t- when Tim Walker would have been a, a massive influence, it was all about the set design. It was all about that, you know. And now I think it's more it's more about the girl and the story behind, you know, yeah. the clothes almost, yeah. you know. It's interesting because I, you know, was never the kind of fan of Tim Walker mm. that, that you were mm. simply because I think for me, and I've often said this, like I'm, you know, for me, it's less about like sort of fashion per se. It's more about clothes. Mm. I, lo- I love clothes. And that's why studio shoots are probably always my favourites yeah. because I'm all about the clothes. I want to see the clothes. I want to see how they're put together. I want to see how I can deconstruct them. I, I, I want that to be the focus. And, and you know, some of Tim Walker's shoots in Vogue and, and they're amazing. They're fantastical. But the narrative is just so extreme yeah. and yeah. kind and of the, the ridiculous kind the, of, the yeah, clothes, in the best possible way. But the clothes are just one secondary. small, yeah, I don't think I don't think the they are, though. I think... Tim Walker is one of the rare photographers that that he really values the clothes in it. He really uses them to to elevate what he's doing. If you think about it, like think some, about some of the shots, yes, some of them yeah. less so. I think. Um, I think Tom Craig, the photographer, mm-hmm. is a modern day Tim Walker and I'm far more interested in what he is doing. I would be too. So his use of light, his use of location, he's like clothes are still there front and centre but there's there's another element I don't know what it is mm. I think he's just kind of moved with the times a bit you know and I, I would say he is inspired by Tim Walker as well yeah. but it's his take in it that yeah, I'm actually and, and, more and interested yeah, in Yeah and I guess it's just with time you know mm. everything evolves mm. everything's slightly kind of readjusts It can't help with date as well yeah, you know I think so like yeah. everything um, but I mean they're worthy of being in the V&A so I mean they don't date as such mm. they're just you know I don't know something beautiful of its time. Totally, I totally, guess. yes. And I think Maybe. his use of of props and sets and colors and everything, you know, is still massively inspirational. Um, I don't know. I just think, yeah, maybe I was surprised. It's great to go and see just from that point of view, you know, like for me going there, not being like this enormous fan of his. So it was interesting to experience it and see how I felt kind of when it came out. And for you, the big, you know, the amazing fan to go in and and see and come out again. It's just, it's just interesting, isn't it? But I mean, the V&A is just the nicest place in the world to to spend time. Like I I wouldn't need to go to any specific exhibition. I I can just just wander the halls and be quite happy there. Um, So as I said, while we were there, Sarah and I met the co-curator of um, an exhibition called Kimono Kyoto to Catwalk, which is um, starting in the V&A on the 29th of February. And uh, Josephine Rue is uh, the co-curator and we were lucky enough to sit down and have a chat with her and she was pretty amazing, wasn't she? And the whole subject of kimono Mm. was really, really fascinating um, about its cultural significance, um, its heritage. And that's not just in Japan, but globally. Uh, yes, and also I just thought it was so interesting seeing all, you know, the the kind of fas- like fashionistas and pop culture I- icons who have embraced the kimono over the years. You know, like there was Bjork, there was Rihanna, there was, you know... Madonna. Um, Madonna, obviously, and how it just keeps cropping up. Mm. And it's it's just such... It's, it's such a sign of luxury and... I, all the images that because um, Josephine actually had the a PDF of the book that's going to be available um, in um, to run alongside yeah the to run alongside the exhibition and I just the 
it's just exquisite. You mm. know, the detail, the intricacy of each piece, the use of colour, you know, all these things that are fashion, yeah, you know, completely. just and, embodied in and one real, piece. real luxury. Yes. You yeah. know, because it's, it's about uh, craftsmanship mm. and it's about time yeah. and it's about you know, excessive amounts of fabric that mm. just, you know, infer that sort of sense of um, wealth and, of wealth and yeah, status. Yeah. And it's kind of, every, it represents everything that fashion should be, that, mm-hmm. you know, good clothes should be. Interestingly, I have never bought a kimono. I have, yes, I have. I have several watered down versions mm. because I just, um, actually, like some high street places have done really nice versions. Like I bought one in River Island a few years ago and... Um, I know, like, I'm probably, it's probably sacrilege, but it, it's, it, it was really fab. I just loved being able to put it on because if you're just feel, you're not feeling great and you're just, you want to wear like black jeans and a black top, it's just really super Elevates handy to put a kimono on mm-hmm. over it. And like, I have a friend who's super stylish and she always looks ma- amazing. And her wardrobe, she has a, a lot of kimonos in them in her wardrobe and you know she'll just she'll come out literally just wearing an all black look and have a kimono over it and look so cool and it's kind of timeless yeah it is it's It's not a trend I was wondering kind of like why I've never bought one yeah. you know any yeah, of the because it is timeless and, and you like you know, I think, timeless pieces and I like timeless pieces mm. I like fluidity mm. you know I like mm. those sort of like drapey silhouettes but I think probably because in essence it reminds me of a wrap dress and that's something that I don't that I no. don't do you know the you know in in its essential form like yes the sort okay of, fair enough but the, the crossover front the, the versions that I've bought are just straight down like jackets like yeah. you know like they're more like kimono duster coats yes. kind of you yeah, know yeah, that style would, would suit me better definitely but yeah. I, I must admit having spoken to to Josephine and mm. you know um, and written the feature for the Jan Feb issue mm. of Image and just thought an awful lot about um, kimono it, it's definitely something I think I would like to have in my wardrobe Explore. if yeah. I found yeah. the right kind yeah. of piece because there is just they, they just have so much history and heritage mm. associated with them um, and it is a, a kind of a piece I mean whether or not it's from the high street or not I don't think mm. it matters if you love it and it's it's well made yeah. it is a piece that you'd have in your wardrobe for, forever Yeah and the obi belts as well that's something that doesn't see they don't seem to be going out of fashion no. I know they were very trendy They're classic one, Yeah They're they classic are now, I think. Yeah and I just think if you get something that has those beautiful rich colours to it yeah. It would completely elevate a look. Absolutely. And, and, you know, beautiful embroidery, mm. I think, you know, is it just really stands out. And actually, a stable, I think, do kimonos. Do they? Yeah, in linens. Yeah, they do kind of... Um, you're right, actually. Who, mm. I can't remember who I saw wearing one. Um, but you're right. And it, it's so up their street, though, yeah, isn't exactly, it? Yeah, you know? exactly. kind of artisanal... Yeah. Um, vibe, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so then I was kind of thinking what other items have kind of crossed those barriers you know those kind of From tradition cultural, into yeah or, or, or even yes exactly those kind of cultural pieces for instance the beret which we all know as being typically French but that has been fully embraced by people all over the world I mean you can buy them in pennies you know or like actually the Mary Quant exhibition was on while, while we were there That's as well right. we didn't get to see it but you know she's noted as um inventing the mini skirt back yes. in the 60s you know and, and we see that over and over again the kilt is another item obviously we know the kilt in its original form as being Scottish skirt dress for men mm-hmm. but um, if you think about it in the 60s again there were like mini skirt versions of the kilt and then obviously with um, Vivian Westwood and the whole punk yes. rebellion and um everyone was wearing kilts, I mean, pinned she kilts. Just, she did that beautifully, didn't she? Mm. Took that traditional item and made it so modern and 
made it sort of almost, you know, released it from its traditional associations. Yes. You know, she yeah, gave yeah, it yeah. such Couldn't an incredible, from, such an incredible yeah. twist. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So and I suppose even things like, you know, if you look at like Doc Martens, what they were kind of invented yeah. for, you know, there's there are so many pieces that, okay, they, they probably don't have the same... Um, in, like incredible backstory as the kimono, but they are pieces that that yeah. everyone has that have like, a rich heritage. Exactly. Um, which of those pieces do you have? Um, if any? I don't have any kilts. Uh, I ha- definitely have a mini skirt. I used to wear a lot of docks. Uh, beret. I've been known to have. You've dabbled. Yeah, I've have dabbled you? in the yeah. beret. Espadrilles. Another thing. Espadrilles. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're a big fan, especially of the wedge ones. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little bit of sarcasm there on Sarah's part. You might not be able to tell. Um, <laughs> I'm not here love, looking at her. I love flat espadrilles. So <clears throat> flats yeah. I can deal with. I can't deal with wedge espadrilles. No, but that's probably because that's probably because they're very often worn with the wrong type of outfit. Mm. I think you have to be quite careful. Okay, you so you're not just insulting espadrilles. the espadrille; you're insulting the whole look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's slightly unfair of you, Sarah. Um, yeah, so, so sometimes, you know, yeah. they're just not worn the best. But I don't have a beret. I don't have a kilt. a beret. Well, okay, fine. The The most obvious one would be jeans. You know, they're origi- originally for workwear in the States. And now, you know, who doesn't own a pair of who jeans? Doesn't, who doesn't love their jeans? Mm. Do you not have any miniskirts? I did when I was younger, but mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of wearing a miniskirt now. It's mm. so not my look. Yes, no. It's just I nothing it to isn't. do with like my legs or whether I like yeah, them or love them or yeah. whatever. It's just it's just not my look. I mm. love you know me, I just I love length. being covered. Yeah. I love length. Length mm. in sleeves, mm. length in skirts, you know, height in necklines. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love being covered, so I wouldn't ever dream of wearing a mini skirt okay. in a million years. Mm. So And never docks. Did you no? Never did the docks. I had them for my confirmation. Did I? No, I think I did. I didn't. I did. I think I might have had the shoes as opposed to the boots at one point. Did no, I? The shoes. I had the shoes as well. Yeah. I was a nerd, and they were two sizes too big for me because my mum thought my feet would grow into them. Did they? No, no. they did not. And I little tiny skinny legs. You to go still have my, little tiny skinny to go legs. My wine dock shoes. <laughs> <laughs> not, not my finest look, yeah. but yeah, I did have the boots as well. I, yeah, I think they, I think, and uh, definitely they've come back. Everyone I love has, them. yeah, I love them. Now. My niece wears them and has them mm. in. She's very arty, so she has them with all sorts of different types of patterns mm. and, and stuff on them, and they look amazing. Um, but I sort of think I'm not sure if I can go down the Doc Martin route again. Mm. At, at never this say never. Point. Never say never. But mm. yeah, maybe. Yeah, who knows? But it is interesting. Um, where fashion is going and we, we, you know, we've talked about this a lot on and off during the year. And I think there has been a really significant cultural sort of shift. Um, I think it's just become really apparent that mm. people, are, they just want want character from their clothes, not just, yes, we want quality, but we want character as well. Yeah. We want a story. We want a narrative. Yeah. We want to wear something that has some level of meaning. Yeah, a bit of substance. Yeah, so I suppose that's where those pieces, the, you know, the, the kimono mm. and, and berries mm. and even, you know, Breton stripes. Yeah, you know? oh, I love a Breton yeah, stripe. Yeah, and they are mm. like a, a wardrobe staple mm. and they would have been, obviously there's something that, you know, you'd think of as, you know, being typically French or whatever, mm. but, you know, probably people in Ireland own more Breton stripes than people, <laughs> than people in Paris. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just thinking of the kilt though. I mean, 
I think a lot of the skirts that Victoria Beckham has done over the year have been that a very pleated, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. And, yeah. and with the sort of the, the front, panel, the panel yeah. layers, like have been a very modern, um, very fresh contemporary reinterpretation mm. of the kilt. Mm. Actually, now that I think yeah. about it, um, so I would, you know, I would have one of those and would, you know, covet all of them. Yeah. So on that note, we might wrap things up and um, say goodbye. This is our last recording, as we said, for 2019, but there will be a live event in Kildare Village. Um, Thanks to everyone for listening uh, over the year. I've been doing this for nine months and I have thoroughly enjoyed every episode. It's totally taken me out of my comfort zone, but I've definitely found a new comfort zone. So I'd like to thank Marie for getting me involved and to Val Ford in Kildare Village and to Dominique McMullen. And also a massive shout out to Erin Lindsay for producing and to Liam, who's on sound. And he's just a general all round fab guy. So thanks guys. We just love Liam. (laughs) That's all. But you brought us Prosecco. (laughs) Similarly, um, yeah, thanks to everybody who listened. Um, and we, you know, we've had a great time yeah. doing it, haven't we? And yeah. um, hopefully, you've had some takeaways. Yes, from all our babbling. Yes, <laughs> been inspired a bit. Yeah. Dreaming of a village Christmas? Discover a magical Christmas with a hundred boutiques from the world's best designers, all at the world's best prices at Kildare Village. It is with absolute pleasure that I welcome the wonderful Ina Quinn to this week's episode of Smart Casual. Ina Quinn is a freelance fashion show producer and is quite a star in the ascent. <laughs> so, Ina, welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and thanks for that intro. Oh, well, I'll take it's, it. It's true. It's Going on my LinkedIn. True. Yes, do. Um, I first came across you through Courtney Smith's um, yeah. documentary last year, Behind the Seams. And first of all, how did she find you? I mean, I stalked her. Ah, you know, you're good for the stalking. No no one finds me because I am in London and I'm kind of a consumer of podcasts and Twitter and Instagram and everything. And I love following everything, but I wouldn't be putting myself out there. Mm. Like I wouldn't put a picture of myself online. But um, yeah, I saw she was in London recording it and she was talking about all the people she was meeting. So I just like slid into her DMs and said, like, hey, are you interviewing any kind of people who work in production behind mm. the scenes and she was like no do you want to do it I was like yeah I do like you should hear from the other side yeah so yeah um, she was literally down the road so I just like hopped on a bus and went down and had like a 10 minute slot mm. and um, I hate doing stuff like that and putting myself forward but I think it's really important mm-hmm. for people who want to work in fashion absolutely but can't necessarily you know draw and design and then maybe who don't want to be front of house mm. kind of a person who has to put themselves out there like mm. there, there's so many other jobs which you wouldn't have known that I didn't know about so I just thought it was kind of really interesting all the other jobs you could do and I love talking about work yeah um you know my boyfriends and family and boyfriend are like oh my god here she goes again but I love talking about work I'm so passionate about it well it shows um, absolutely so, yeah. and your portfolio is just getting better and better so tell me okay <laughs> so we'll go back so you, what did you study in college? Uh, media arts and Irish in DIT Angel Street. Okay, so media arts and, and Irish. Yeah, I just love a bit of the grail. Okay, so. lovely, <laughs> very nice. Okay, and through that, did you start doing 
like production you know was that part was that a module then yeah, yeah so I think like we did photography we did documentary making we made TV shows we made radio shows mm. we did everything production but from front of house producing directing writing treatments to the editing recording all of that stuff so it was really good kind of well rounded course there was one in DCU that was apparently a lot more on like theory. Ours was all practice. Amazing. And we had an amazing studio and we had like really interesting lectures, really small course, like 30 people, nearly all girls, quite wow. weirdly. Um, and yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I had never looked at DIT. I just wanted to go to no, UCD or Trinity where all my friends were. But um, it was just really like the course that suited me down to the ground it was so practical even though I was quite nerd like I loved theory the theory side of it well um, I I went for communications in DCU back in the day and I didn't get it so I ended up doing arts in UCD which obviously has nothing to do with anything but I one of my regrets was not going to DIT because I knew that all of those courses were so practical so hands on and you got to do a bit of everything you know, Definitely, so there's yeah. a lot to be said for kind of looking around and doing a bit more research. I, I think so, yeah. I think there was a there was a woman you could go to in Bray who um, did a funny little test where you tick lots of boxes and by the end of it she'd be like, okay, this is the course you should do. And, and did she say that course? She said, yeah, she was like, it would just suit your personality. It's a really nice vibe. It's very hands-on. You'll love Angel Street. I was like, where is yeah, Angel yeah. Street? What are you talking about? Okay, my career so, guidance counselor told me I was going to be a receptionist. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, you should get into admin. I mean, it, it's very people. It's very important. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's. I think that was her blanket, you know, yeah. generic. I mean, I, my career guidance teacher in school, I, everyone always told me my mum's a primary school teacher so they're like you'd be a great primary of school course. teacher it's but like tick that box because of that mm. I was like I'm never going to be a primary school teacher and I had a huge interest in fashion I always made my mum buy Vogue and Tesco and like it was so expensive at the time but I always bought it not knowing what I could do in that but um, anyway at the time DIT had a fashion show mm-hmm. we were sponsored by Vodafone then Toyota, then Alfa Romeo. Wow. And it was a really professional yeah. setup. It was like a 20, 30 grand show. We did it in Vicker Street. Yeah, it was big money. We had a pitch for that money every year from whoever the sponsor would be. And then we'd like do things throughout the year to get a bit more money. And then we gave it all to charity. Um, we had a whole setup, the marketing and students where it did all the kind of front of house stuff. I was the only media arts student. And oh. they were like, what's media arts? I was like, we're on the fourth floor. But they didn't know what we did because the majority of people did marketing, business yeah. kind of yeah, courses. Yeah. And they got credits towards their course. I did not. Oh. So they really put a lot of time in and did it very professionally. And I came in as um, a stylist. I wanted to be on the style team. Mm. So um, Louise Conlon at the time had started it and she was just this like fantastic fashion girl with a couple of other girls did it with her who have all gone on to like... Is this benefit? Is, who, who's Louise Conlon? She was, I think, marketing director at Arnett. Dundrum? Dundrum. Was she Dundrum? And yeah, then did she go to Benefit as well? Maybe, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, she yeah. did, yeah. Most people who were involved in DIT fashion show are doing really interesting things now. Oh. We have really good kind of alumni. Yeah. Um, I know that through stalking on Instagram. <laughs> um, no doubt. Yeah, so then it was just such an exciting thing to do and I kind of worked my way up and then, like, I never was the, the head of it, mm. but I had worked in every job on the styling team and then mm. casting the models and then 
um, doing the lineup and setting. I just love the whole thing. That's how I started as well. Yeah, through UCD. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I joined the committee because in my final year, I was like, I better do something extracurricular because I hadn't done anything. Yeah. Like literally, just went to my didn't even go to my lectures, but <laughs> showed up a couple of times a week. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there, and yeah. I joined the committee, and I was was the head stylist for the yeah. UCD fashion show, and that's when Julian Benson was doing the production. It was like it was a big deal as yeah. well, and like Graham Cruz would have come in to help to consult. On, yeah, you know, yeah. So there's all this, and well, I yeah, Andrew Scanlon l- was my mentor oh when my I was. God. Yeah, Dundrum had just kind of Dundrum was oh, really yeah, so popular. She was on the kind of the style team in Dundrum, probably. She the was, time, yeah. She, yeah. And she was quite young, so I remember going out. To, Dundrum sponsored one year, rather than me walking around Grafton Street mm. begging mm. shots, like mm. not she knowing. Did have like, to, yeah. Yeah, like I could have gone to the PR teams, but what I did was go in to talk to the manager. But who knew about PR? Like, like you're in college, clue, yeah. yeah. So Dundrum, like we were doing quite well. So Dundrum. um sponsored us so Angeline Angela was the mentor and then like we I remember she brought me to uh, Milano's and Dundrum and she ordered like these nuts and olives before we got some food and I just was like this is so posh goals I was just fascinated by her I thought she was so cool you are too so then um, which like she would laugh out now but like <laughs> I just thought she was the coolest person ever she's like she still is my style icon so then um, I think like Expose did like R.I.P. Uh, something <laughs> on us. So then um, we had it. We gave out a modeling contract. So mm. first option gave out yeah, that. Yeah. And then I think Sonia Lennon, Brandon, Courtney like came to it. So then by the time I left, um, Jules at first option asked me would I like to work there because I had been working with them because I cast the models for yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. So she took me on like it's every such now an incredible and then. Platform. Like it was such a great it, start. It really was. Yeah. Dublin's so small. Yeah, exactly. Like, everyone yeah. kind of knew about it. So then once I started working in first option, um, we did lots of little segments for Expose mm. and Ireland AM. And I mean, my job was just walking around town, picking up the clothes and mm. then doing all the returns. But I got to see how mm. it all worked. Mm. And I was like, wow, there's you can do jobs without being a model mm. or the TV presenter. Mm. There's still other jobs you could do, which was interesting. And then um, like we did shows in shopping centres all around Ireland. We did one in Cork and Sonia and Brendan um were the presenters at it. So you kind of got to know everyone because you'd be backstage sitting around yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, and then and then I worked with Catapult for a while who do a lot of production. The, yes, the lighting yeah. and stuff, is it? Yeah, yeah they yeah. do like what I do, like the light, the yeah. sound, the set because we had done stuff with them. So that was really interesting to see. Oh, you can do fashion stuff but be back in the production stuff mm. that I love that mm. I learned in DIT so it was like joining yeah. all the, the docks, cool fashion yeah. stuff but also the back of house stuff and that at this time The Hills was massive mm-hmm. and Lauren Conrad started mm. working with Kelly Catrone and working at fashion shows so yeah. I was like what you can work at fashion shows but I thought like if yeah. you know Mark Jacobs is doing a fashion show him and all his team are organising it but they weren't. They were getting another company. Mm, so this was like eye opening. Yeah, I remember so, a girl assisting me saying, "Do you think? Do you think I can be Lauren?" Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Sure. Oh my god, Lauren Conrad mm. started off so many hopes and dreams for so many girls my age. So yeah, then I, like I was always, I had done all the social media for DOT fashion show. So I started a website and Twitter and a Facebook group. And Jesus, you really got it was well rounded. Yeah, it was like two thousand and seven, yeah. two thousand and eight. Like yeah. When that was People just joined off. Facebook, yeah. you know, Bebo was just finishing mm. and um, we sold tickets one year for five euro off if you bought them via Facebook. Mm, so everyone was like, wow, buy them on Facebook. I was like, yeah, if you 
see it on Facebook and like click into the link and then like walk down to the student office and be like, I saw this Facebook link. I'm, I'm your friend on Facebook. We gave them a fiver off. So I got an award for best online presence, which was an award they had to make up because... <laughs> Didn't and exist. no one really knew what you were talking about anyway. Yeah, like, yeah sure. So, like, Little the, did they know. Exactly, huh? yeah. And because of that, I like was on Twitter, like one of the first people on Twitter. So I follow loads of people on Twitter and I love it as a platform. Mm. I think it's really interesting. I'm rubbish at Twitter. Yeah, it, like it's not, it's completely just led by people chatting. Yeah. And I know there's it's not also, visual. Yeah, which mm. I really liked it. And then obviously Instagram came in and mm. that was like, like I would use that in a totally different way of totally different audience there mm. in comparison to Twitter. So like, yeah, I just thought all that social media stuff was really interesting. I ended up doing a course in DBS, like a night course in that as well, because I was just interested. Mm. Um, so I found lots of, you know, bloggers, people were starting to blog. Um, so I would just look, read these blogs all the time. I probably started my own blog for a little mm. while. Very embarrassing. I hope it's like dead and gone somewhere mm. in the back I've a, of the I've internet. A few, a few skeletons, a few blog skeletons yeah. in my closet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then um, I found a girl on a blog one day who said she worked at London Fashion Week. And I was like, what? So I just emailed her and was like, how did you work at London Fashion Week? What did you do? So she told me the name of a production company. I was like, what's a production company? Like, what do they do? So I emailed them. Um, and this was maybe February, God, like 2010 or 2011. And I probably emailed them for like seven months, like every couple of weeks. Um, and like I found the girls on LinkedIn. I messaged them on LinkedIn and just totally stalking. Yeah. yeah. Like I didn't think anything would come of it. And then eventually they said, um, oh, we're looking for some extra runners. Would you come over for Fashion Week? Yeah, at this time I got... Um, kind of a six-month contract as an event manager for the IACP, Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. Right. Which is a bit the other way, but I mean... It's events yeah, and it's networking. Someone offered me a job and, and yeah. to pay me full-time. Yeah. No had, you, had you been paid for anything up to this point? Yeah, like I'd get paid like a €60 yeah, job. Yeah. And like when I entered a catapult, they gave me some money and I was working at like Harvey Nicks one day a week and okay. doing a lot yeah. of babysitting. So you were making it work, you know, you, yeah. were, you were scraping I was by. living at home and scraping mm. by and paying my car insurance mm. just about. Mm. Um, so I said, yes, of course, I'll go to London, but um, it's actually the National Ploughing Championships <laughs> next week, which I've got to stand at. So I need to leave on the Monday. <laughs> How they, did they not know that? They were like, oh, okay, yeah, grand. <laughs> did you say that? I just said it was a large event in Ireland that I need to attend. So I will need to leave early. <laughs> so I flew out on one day and stayed in a hotel oh. and worked at this Robert Cavalli after party in the Battersea Power Station. And it was out of this world. My and it's the first time God. I saw a VIP party on this scale and loads of women working with mm. radios mm. and hi-vis and walking mm. around. And I had only ever seen men doing all the production stuff and women doing like the styling or yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. that the, the zhuzhing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't realize the women. kind of the hardcore work going on backstage. Totally. there was all women I there. I yeah. know you could do that. <gasps> mm. That blew my mind. Mm. So then I like I stayed an extra like five hours. They're like, you can go home now. I was like, I'll stay. No, you were lapping it yeah, up. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Thanks. Like stay completely free. Like I worked like twenty four hour shift, oh my and God. then um, I flew home the National Ploughing Championship. I'd say that was a bit of a come down. Um, yeah, like it was just funny seeing two words collide. Like the Saturdays were there and they were all gifted these Robert Cavalli ball gowns. Not all, at the Ploughing Championships. Not at the Ploughing, yeah. Just to confirm. The Saturdays <laughs> were at a London, London fashion party. Not the other you side. You see Una Healy in the tractor. 
some stage. <laughs> with, um, and Khalees played. And like, oh I was like standing God. beside like Rochelle Humes and Marvin and they were like screaming all the songs. And I was just like, this is just wild. So, um, and how were you? Were you just like, yes, this is this is where I want to be, or were you like petrified? No, I you like, were loving it. Yeah, I was loving it, and mm. I never really wanted to move away. I would have stayed in Ireland as long as possible. Yeah. I did not want to move. I like I always felt kind of disappointed when my friends moved and were like, oh, there's nothing in Ireland, and mm. went off to Canada and Australia, mm. and I had no interest in that. But once I saw a little bit of what was going on in London. I was like, right, okay, this is interesting. So I just kept emailing them and my job finished up at Christmas and I, in January I did a interview with the St. Patrick's Day Parade Festival and I remember, God, it was around here somewhere, um, around Stevens Green and the girl said to me, um, you've got a lot of experience, you've done a lot, but like, why are you still in Ireland? Mm. And no one had ever said that to mm. me and I came out and I just bawled crying. I remember standing up outside the like National Concert Hall called my mum, like she was like, you told me to leave Ireland. I don't want to leave Ireland. <laughs> Get so, out of here. Yeah, so then Inca, that production company, um, invited me back at Fashion Week to do a couple mm. of running jobs. So I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll do that. So, um, And meanwhile, then on Twitter, I saw Fabulous Magazine, who were owned by mm. The Sun. Yeah, they were quite good, um, The Sun. I mean... Rupert Murdoch was going through a lot at the time so Sky News were outside the building every day but anyway um, they put on Twitter our fashion assistant intern has dropped out is anyone free so I tweeted them I'm free I'll come so I just booked a flight that night um, went to London the next day I didn't tell them I lived in Ireland I just showed up Mm. Um, they needed me for a month I was like oh Oh, I just thought this might be a week's oh work. God. So this was like the week before my birthday. So I was like, right, okay, I'm staying in a hotel in Bayswater. Oh my god! So I just started googling, how do you find a flat in London? And like, we didn't did you know, know anyone? No, I didn't know anyone. I didn't even tell my dad. Like, You're I didn't so tell ambitious. anyone. I just was like, oh, I'll just go for like, yeah. Um, I've you been didn't to tell him. your dad. No, he was up. He um, worked in Letterkenny at the time, so he was up there. So we were like, let's, didn't have a chance. Let's not tell him. And mm. um, you know. Cause that would be stressful. Mm. So um, I remember he called the phone the first week and was like, put me on the phone to your mommy. I was like, oh, she's in the kitchen pretending I was in Ireland. <laughs> She'd, then he, she would be in Tesco and I was like, uh-uh. Like, so we told him after a couple of weeks and oh, he was like, you let my, my only daughter God. move to England. Oh, that is brilliant. He was livid. I'm surprised you weren't getting a flight back every night and a flight over every morning. <laughs> We got away with it for quite a while because he was up in Letterkenny. But anyway, so th- <laughs> I remember my friends asking, why are you in London for so long? I was like, I'm just trying it out. I didn't really want to say it. I know, yeah. Um, and especially after the first week, it, my, my, it was my birthday. My birthday is around Fashion Week and, okay. and Valentine's Day. Okay. So I just had this kind of lone, sad birthday in London. Mm. Like, it was depressing, um, but also just still really exciting to be yeah, in London. Mad, yeah, mad, mad. Like. Really exciting to be somewhere else. Mm. And I'd never lived away from home. I guess mm. I was about 24. I ran on a couple more shows for Fashion Week. All the runners would be like, oh, what are you doing in like uni next year? I was like, well, I actually graduated two years ago. I'm, I'm quite well, old in comparison to you. So um, I kind of saw that everyone in England was like interning in their summers and before mm, going to yeah, yeah. uni as they say. But you were so ahead of the game yourself. Like I was and I wasn't so mm. I pretty much had to start from nothing. Mm. Um, so like I signed on to the Dole and got temping jobs and then any time they had a party or a show I got on it and I would stay an extra like four or five hours and st- 
like start really early and I just made myself there all the time. So they kind of got to know me. And then eventually, um, probably like a year, year and a half later, they started asking me, oh, I'm doing an event. Would you like to come? So instead of me chasing them, yeah. someone asked me to come to the event and she said she'd pay me a day rate rather than by the hour. And I just could not get over that. I was like, well, what's a day rate? Like how much do you charge? So she was like, I don't know, 100, 150. And I was like, a day? Like, what? Mm. That's what I was making a week. That's the big bucks. So um, that was interesting. Mm. And I was like, wow, okay, that's really interesting. So then little by little, um, it's all word of mouth. It's similar to Ireland, really small industry. People just started hiring me and I absolutely milked the fact that I was Irish. Mm. They were like, oh, are you Irish? Oh, They love Irish people. Everyone has an Irish granny. Mm. Um, Ina's a very granny name. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, oh, I think I have an old great aunt called Ina. It's a like, great I'm name. Sure you do. It's a great name for a young person. It, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it it's is. handy because no one can spell it and no one's ever heard of it. So it's always a good conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah, starter. Yeah. Um, like, I like knew? it. Yeah. <laughs> so that just ended up being like this kind of, you know, USB, I guess. Mm. That Irish girl mm. who's always standing by the catering table chatting, but she'd be on site for 12 hours straight and yeah. working really hard. Yeah. Like I, I'm a really hard worker. I, Obviously. I'm a grafter. Mm. Like, so I would be happy to load any van and, you know, go on my hands and knees taping cables along mm. the floors, mm. steaming dresses, dressing models. I do front yeah. up back of house. I don't mind doing anything. I was just so excited to be there. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, like um, eight years there on February, oh my February God. 5th. And I'm just so excited to be at every any event I'm at. I just cannot believe that I'm there and mm. that they're letting me away with it. And so this year, in the last two years, I've started working abroad, um, which was like a real goal of mine, like working in a different country other than London. Yeah. So I um, produced uh, two cruise shows this year, um, one in Shanghai and one in Paris. Unbelievable. And then I... For who? Um, for Mew Mew and Chloe. Um, yeah, <laughs> pretty wild. Seriously? And then I did... So and this isn't through This isn't through a production company? This is... No, this is through... They're all produced production companies okay but, people, but they they hire you they contract yeah. you in as part of the production company yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. most production companies in london have like 10 or less people mm. they have assistants okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. and they'll have directors but no one really hires producers full-time mm. because events aren't happening all the time yeah. so you only need the producer in the like six to four weeks before the event mm. to start getting the event together to find the venue to hire all the suppliers to mm. deal with the client to the budget and schedule and um just make it happen so it all happens very quickly but what there wouldn't be much though. point me sitting there the rest of the yeah, time yeah exactly yeah, and yeah that's yeah. boring I want to go off yeah, and, and do another with one. someone else so I so work, you start so what was your biggest so so what did you start with like what was your first big show that you worked on as Ina Quinn freelance fashion um, producer Erdem was my first oh my show as God. producer. God yeah are you serious but I mean I had done a lot of things before that but as yeah. assistant so. Erdem was my first show as a producer. Like when they went out at the finale, I was like crying. I mm. could not get over it. I mm. was obsessed with his collections at the time. Which one was that? Where was it? What was the... We used to do it at Old Selfridges Hotel. Okay. Um, and it, I'm trying to think. Like it was in the dark and it was very dramatic. Oh, um, they always... But they're always dark. show yeah, to Anna Wintour always complains. They're, that it's too dark? Yeah, it's the only show she'll take her sunglasses off for. Like oh, wow. I, I usually have to walk her in because um, okay. she goes come so you, in. You literally have to do everything. 
Oh yeah, absolutely everything. They'd have you up in the catwalk I, if there was a girl. As in, I'd be like, go from like clearing the toilets mm. to walking in on a winter yeah. to <laughs> yeah. cut to saying we need to go to show to like dressing a model with their shoe. You kind of are just running. Yeah. Well, you're not running around really as the producer by the day of the show or by the day of the event your job's done Yeah, yeah you shouldn't yeah. be running around sweating because everyone else is here mm. and hired mm. to do their job you just need to keep an eye Overseas. on the clock yeah. and be a face to the supplier or to the um, designer mm. so yeah um, Erdem was my first show I did and him, you've done a few Erdem I did him for four seasons and then I did Erdem Pringle and Topman when Topman did a really big show mm. before they stopped doing shows yeah Um. Then I, I did. I missed one fashion season my whole time because I did Elton John's summer ball in his house. Oh, that was a good excuse. So I spent three weeks down in Elton's gaff in Windsor. Um, <laughs> so then, then I went back and I started. I feel doing like you're making this Kane. stuff up. <laughs> How can we tell? How do we know? I don't know. I mean, I've got photos of his donkeys. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> show us the photos. And I'm sometimes that in the background. Unbelievable! This is like an absolute dream come true. Like totally, for, yeah. for me. The, Never mind I, you. It's definitely my dream come true. But I think as each year you do more interesting events for. Um, premium brands mm. you get and then you see something else that you've never seen before yeah you're exactly like, hey. you're always learning yeah you know mm. I just want to do a f- one fashion show yeah so then I was like well I'd like to do a bigger show well I'd like to do a show abroad well I want to do mm. a cruise show well mm. I want to do whatever so then the, yeah, the goals are constantly being pushed totally yeah. like you never get to the end I think if you get to the end then you're probably bored you're and you should move to a different yeah. role or industry yeah. or whatever but you mentioned that that f- you've always been into fashion so yeah. even when you were doing media you, you kind of wanted to do fashion as well did you or just yeah I wanted to do fashion yeah, but I but didn't you, know what you, you do yeah in exactly it. Like, I'm so not you're not a designer I'm totally yeah. and I'm not the best dressed out of all my friends like I would never be dressing in the most fashionable clothes but I love it like mm. I love to watch it and consume it yeah like the overall yeah thing, which is what you do yeah the set design and yeah. how like I'm very interested in how a dress is made and the story of it and why they chose that but then also how that dress is marketed to the press mm. and then how the press market it to the public mm. so they create an entire story it's the bigger and picture we have to make that into a, a show, a show. Yeah. and then they would use that in their marketing campaign for the next six months and then people eventually would buy it so it's it's a whole just really mm. interesting cycle and yeah, the process. No, one, no designer yeah. wakes up in the morning and just draw something and wants to sell it they go through a whole process mm. like Erdem especially had, mm. always had really interesting stories and the muses he always uses amazing yeah. like really fascinating yeah. women from history completely and, yeah. yeah he loves a tragic woman yeah. so now I do Christopher Kane's show I've okay. done the last six of his shows <gasps> so he's the total opposite end like his last show was about um, people who are sexually aroused by plastic objects right so he had like cool. these cool handbags that were like colostomy bags but with glitter in them really? he had um, all this rubber like, but it's so fascinating it's so funny and it takes you I remember them explaining I was like yeah lovely exactly great you, like you're never going to be like uh, are you for real because you just have to take it all in and I suppose what's so ma- amazing about what you do is that you can kind of put your different hats on so like yes you could be totally into Erdem and the floral beauty of it and then feck it get into this weird fetish Completely, world yeah. and just embrace it you know <laughs> yeah but you're even saying you're doing something can you say what you're working on at the moment in New York I mean yeah probably 
maybe not I don't know uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a job for Lueve at the moment and then I'm I'm doing two jobs I'm doing one for Lueve and then I'm doing something with Selfridges um, so that's fun um, very stressful it's in a week mm-hmm. I'm under so many deadlines but um, it's fine it'll come together it always comes together and it's absolutely fine so I think I've done enough of the I'm doing a party okay um, and I've done enough of these big parties when yeah. I'm not doing yeah, shows yeah, yeah, exactly. I do parties yeah, yeah. I've done a couple of weddings for but like the, like you're getting to brands. work with a budget like you know yeah. the, the editorials that I get to do we're working with no budgets I can't imagine being able to do my job and have the money to do yeah. what I want like yeah. that must be just amazing well that's what scares me about like I'd love to move home and mm. dealing with the budget like someone like one of the events I did recently, they had a budget of like 50 grand. And I was like, what? Oh, pittance. Like 50 grand. Like, where are you? Like, where's the rest of it? Like, that's my venue fee. What am I going to do for everything else? I, so that I, that wasn't enough um, for me. And I did make that budget go up because it was ridiculous. But like, um, yeah, like I, I love working with premium brands because they have money and mm. because they're obviously like anyone else they're trying to like flog stuff they're trying to sell stuff but they take influence from art and culture and music and history and that's how they're trying to sell it so at least they're trying to sell a story because people are going to buy stuff no matter what yeah 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 but um, they might have the narrative there the substance there is so behind it like even if you're just selling lipsticks just to have a a bit of a story about it um is really important yeah. I'm really like passionate about that and I don't want to just work with any brand now and I'm kind of in a fortunate position that you can pick and choose a, a little bit yeah. like not in a massive way I'm not yeah. saying I have to say no the odd time to stuff because I just cannot fit it in because being self-employed you have to work out your own schedule yeah. and you're always terrified about not having work not being able to pay rent but like I don't want to do just any brand I, no. and I hate those brands who just do a pop-up of event so they'll invite all the influencers to come and all they do is just put like hashtag whatever. Like you have to just respect that your audience are intelligent yeah, and exactly. they'll yeah. figure it out, yeah, yeah, the yeah. hashtag. You yeah. don't need to plaster it all over the place. Pitch. So yeah. come up with a more interesting story because these people, the press and influencers who come to events, they've got an event every single night. Exactly. So you might as well tell them an interesting story, give them an interesting experience, mm. let them experience something new so they mm. go home and think about it and be mm. like wow oh, that brand's really interesting because um, we are working with like the best lighting directors sound engineers set designers yeah. I'm working with an amazing set designer Mary Howard in New York right now she does everything with like Stephen Mizell for Vogue she is unreal and I'm like chatting <laughs> to Mary on the phone like you know, it's yeah, mad. It's just a colleague. Yeah. So, like, we work with these amazing people, and mm. we often get really interesting, like, artists and filmmakers in to do stuff as part of the events or as part of the marketing campaign before or after the event. And that's just something really, really interesting. And all of these people are just like people who are maybe not necessarily interested in fashion or mm. Gucci particularly mm. but we're all working together to create something really interesting yeah. and something really beautiful and an experience that is something people Authentic will go home and, and think original. about yeah. Yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than just like I went you, to yeah. an event I got a free goodie yeah, bag yeah, exactly. and I see some of the Irish events yeah. and I just oh, yeah. wreck so my head right. because I'm like you could do something <gasps> better yeah. Yeah, you yeah, could yeah. do something with a little mm. more integrity mm. with um, a little more soul mm. and I could help you do that mm. so 
please hire me mm. any Irish brands I'm out there sure like, it's, I would it's love a matter to. of fee you know I feel like we've only scratched the surface with you you are unbelievable like that is just you're amazing that's you're, a very nice thing to say stop embarrassing me <laughs> congratulations with everything that you've achieved thank and you and I will I will stalk like you've never stalked before <laughs> <laughs> good luck <laughs> thanks so much for coming on Smart Casual thanks for having me This episode of Smart Casual was brought to you in collaboration with Kildare Village. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate, review and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify.